Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to, it's a tribute episode to our mutual friend. I think Rich knew him better than I did, but just a delightful, delightful guy, maybe delightful curmudgeon. I don't know. He just was a, he, he was, he, he just would get, uh, no, not a curmudgeon, but just a, a guy that was, uh, uh, loved life and, and always had a twinkle in his eye and was always coming up with a joke here and a joke there. So Tom Reed, a longtime collector of uh, cards and I think mainly other stuff, but uh, I would see him when I would be in the, in the East Coast. He'd be at the shows, but he's been gone for a while. So, uh, thanks sponsors, Tops Panini Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions. Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, and ComC.com. So Tom Reed, I, I shouldn't say he's a curmudgeon, but he just was, he uh, to me, he dared to be different. When everybody was collecting cards, he seemed to be more interested in memorabilia and he had a great eye for what was rare. So I've had some trades with him, and I don't, I'm not saying he got the best of me in the trades. I'm saying I did not best him, though. No, Tom knew exactly what he was looking yeah. for. And... How did he come up with all this amazing stuff? He dug hard. He used to go to the flea markets in the 60s and 70s, and he would buy these huge boxes. And by doing that, he got to see what all the stuff that was out there was, so he knew what it was. What was tougher. What was tougher. And I think in the hobby, up there with my father, maybe a little ahead or a little behind in influence, but he's probably, along with my father, one of the two most influential people that I ever met in the hobby. And... He just had a lot of fun contacts. He was always tried to mentor me that I don't always yeah, remember, but he always yeah. worked on mentoring me because I was like this, like you did. So I want to say, well, like, he's you, like an uncle. Yeah, he's like bit. an uncle. But he was kind of a, a gruff, he's Irish. He was a gruff well, uncle. I'm, I'm trying to get at that. Is he, he was very Irish. Very Irish. A gruff was, uncle, but I, a I don't remember seeing uncle. him lose his temper necessarily, but he'd be passionate. Yes. That's what I'm trying to express. Oh, yes. He was good. He, as I said, he, he was wonderful. I learned a lot of good life lessons from him. So I'm happy about that. And one of the most important life lessons I learned was I asked him one day, I'm in his store, and there's a Mets photo with a, with a, with a 1975 ticket stub in it. So I go, what, what's that about? And this is how tough Tom was. He goes, that was the day I broke down because I had to apply for food stamps. Because oh. he was also a construction worker and as part of the yeah. union. But there was no work for a lot of people in the wow. mid-70s. And that always was a reminder that you can battle back from anything. Yeah. He battled back and it was one of the most successful people in the 70s and 80s from yeah. that point forward. And I think that was always a reminder to him to keep driving forward. Because, you know, he knew the most important thing was to take care of his wife and his kids. At what point was uh, the, his uh, interest in uh, sports memorabilia and stuff, was it always a sideline, a side gig? It was, or, it was, or did he move more toward that? Toward, toward he moved that? towards that as he got a little bit older and got out of, you know, and, and did less in the construction world. They would have him do a couple days a year so he could remain in the union and get the benefits. But for the most part, he transitioned out probably by the late 70s when the hobby exploded and never really went back. Was he old enough to be your dad? My guess is he was slightly yes. right about that. He'd be in his early 80s now? He'd be 83. Okay. He would, he would, I mean, for me, for him to have been my dad, he would have had me at about the age of 22. But yes, he is old yeah. enough to be my dad. Okay. One of the things I learned from him, I mean, maybe I'm not, I don't know that I, First learned it from him or just heavily reinforced for him. But in some of my discussions with him, very engaging, very talkative guy, very personable guy. And you wanted to be his friend, not, his, not on his bad side. I wasn't on his bad side. But what I got from him is that in, because I think he did more trading than selling. That's the impression I always had. I never really bought at something. Big, at stuff. the big shows, at I the think big that's shows, correct. Yeah, I, I did more trading with him. And if I had something he wanted, uh, what, anyway, what I learned was that all those old guys knew that you don't want to trade away stuff that you can't replace if it's meaningful to you. 
it could be valuable, but not rare. And you think, well, I could trade that because I could replace it. But so much of the stuff, so if I had something that was difficult to replace, he would want that. Well, I didn't want to trade that, but then just like uh, in some of the other episodes, the, the, the most savvy traders find out what your weak spot is. And so he'd dig out some Roberto Clemente thing. And I'd say, oh, well, maybe I could trade it for that. But that's the way the, the guys were. You know, yeah, they, and, and, it was a smaller, close-knit fraternity back in the Exactly. Days. And, you know, and he got so good. The other thing was, and this was really good for me to learn in the 70s and 80s, if a collection came into his store, let's say it cost him two and a quarter. He would figure out, okay, I can offer two and a quarter because I can sell these four cards for two and a quarter. Right. And then the rest becomes... The rest is gravy. The rest yeah. is gravy. You know, for listeners, that two and a quarter is not $225,000. <laughs> right. In those days, $225 would buy but you... But still a bunch of money would have buy, bought you a bunch of steak dinners. But uh, what happened to his collection when he passed? You know, I don't know. I do know... Because he had very eclectic... You know, I, I don't know that all of his stuff was super valuable. Because he had some things that I just think were of interest to him. Well, but I know he had some really good stuff. He had some really good stuff, but it's a pretty sad story that, like, the store next door to his had a fire. Uh-huh. And Tom had was not carrying enough insurance. Uh-huh. And even though Tom knew some people in the hobby who had good political connections and were very well-connected lawyers, that was not a lawsuit he could win. Yeah. So a lot, of the, a lot of his best stuff he had in the store in the uh-huh. 80s just went up in smoke. And from was, a fire next door? From a fire next door. And there's no liability? And there's no liability. I mean, to the other person. To the other person. I guess you could have a civil suit or something. Yeah, but the... But you could prove negligence yeah. or gross negligence. Or something. Wow, man. And so that, that is what happened to some of his best stuff. And, it's, and as I said, on one level, he never did truly get back to where he was. On another level, during the 90s, he lost a lot of the people he used to be able to call. Let's say I was one of them. Hey, Rich, I have this collection, 250 to you. Yeah. Well, I'm in Texas. I'm not really buying cards right. anymore like that. Okay, so no 250 to me. Was so, he declining health at that point as well? I think so, a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this with George Lyons. You did. Yeah. And you, know, you mentioned about not going to the funeral. And, it's you know, we talk about regrets. And I don't want to say it's a regret because I didn't think about it as well as I should have. But I was the reason I was in New York on 9-11 was because I was up for a friend's wedding. Well, Tom's funeral was the Friday before 9-11 in 2001. And in retrospect, I should have made sure I got on the flight earlier, done whatever I could to get yeah. on an earlier flight to get up there for the funeral. Well, I, I, you know, like I said, I still think about that. And, and frankly, George Lyons' funeral was, I think, in November of 2001. So it was in that same. And yours was after 9 11, so, so we were A couple months after. And maybe, maybe that was it. I don't know. It's just, it's just, you can't say, I'll, I'll, I'll check you later. Yeah. <laughs> You're either there for the funeral or not. It's not like, hey, I'm having a party this Friday. If you can't make this one, make the one next Friday. No, no you know, that's you only get one shot you at get it. One it's, shot. Like, it's like a wedding or a funeral. You get one shot at it. Yeah. But Tom had a wonderful life. He raised two wonderful kids. Yeah. He had a good life. I'm going to assume I've not checked, but I assume he's got grandkids at this point. Yeah. You know, his fa- you know, he gave good good lessons in life to his family. So on that level, he's a success. You know, yeah. even if the later part of his years weren't as healthy or as profitable as the glory days of the 80s and the late 70s, it's a good life. And I want to stress, and I learned a lot from him, and I want to stress all that. And we're at breakfast one day, and it's like 1133 in this diner. He goes to the waitress. By the way, you're turning your watch back four minutes, and I'm going to order the breakfast special. <laughs> and you know what happened? She, the, all of a sudden, magically, it was 1129, and you ordered the breakfast okay. special. And Tom was very special to me. He is the only person in my life I have ever let smoke a cigarette in my car. Wow. That's, that's... <laughs> Nobody else, has, everybody else gets, no, 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 Tom, go ahead. <laughs> That's, Which tells you how special it's been more than 20 years too, but, but, you know, that's, well, that, that's cool. Well, who were, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, if I get, 
uh, I'm, I'm willing to be judged by the quality of my friendships. And I think everybody ought to think, you know, I, I, I want, I'm willing to be judged by the quality of my friendships. So who were some of his other contemporary friends or people that mentored him, or was he just self-taught? He was a lot, you he, obviously were a little bit of a protege. Right. But who were his, he his was, running buddies that, that, we, he, that some he people was, would know? You know, he, he never really had a ton of protégés on one level, but on another level, it was a nice couple. Howie and Janine Rogers had a store in Clifton, and he really helped them. He did, he did a lot with Al Rosen back in the day. Right. Not, he wasn't a Rosen partner, but he was always involved. You know, he always helped Al if it was something. Yeah. If Al had something he needed Tom's help on, Tom was always happy to help on that. Tom did the, the first show I ever set up with the Montclair State shows with Bill Jacobowitz. Yeah. You know, and so. But no real mentor to Tom that he kind of picked it up. Yeah, he picked it up on, on his, his own. Because there wasn't that much. Yeah, who were you going to pick mean, it he's, up from? He's a pioneer. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, it seemed like he was zigging when other people were zagging. And you know what? We've talked about this in the past. Being a contrarian is not the worst thing in the world in this hobby. Well, it's lonely until it's not. Exactly. You know, it's lonely, and then all of a sudden, other people figure it out, maybe, and then you look like you're brilliant, that you got a five-year head start, or in Tom's case, it could have been a 15 I or 20 year, 20 year head start. But most people like to follow the herd. It's it's actually safer in the herd, but there's some there's a lot of fun to be had getting out there and doing what other people are doing. It's less competitive too, but Tom would have stuff. If I went to his table, he'd have stuff that nobody else had. You know, so there was no, no, he never had to worry about that. He was uh, pricing something in a way that he was being undercut by somebody across the room. I don't think, you know, the set, you know, that T two thirty one fan set yeah, of which yeah. there are like three cards known. Yeah. John Ramirez bought his fan card from Tom Reed. Yeah. I mean, he didn't pay a lot. He just didn't even discuss the price. He just saw it on his table one day and right. says, I'm buying that. And yeah. like, okay, whatever it was, it's like t John knew that was whatever the price was on that. It wasn't even worth well, negotiating. It was. Well, this, all of the old guys that like that. And in, in, in those cases, all the John Ramirez is not, is kind of a contemporary. He's a, contemporary, a little yeah. bit, a little bit older than me, I think, but not, not by much. But I'll tell you what, they really understood rarity because they were there before the price guides. Yes. You know, and I, I, I drew from them, but Tom Reed knew what was scarce. And so you can put your own values on it. Now, if, if you have to look it up in a price guide, it's, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. But when it's not in a price guide and you have some sense of the value, that's what the old timers had. And Tom Reed was really good at even the most eclectic stuff that, that, that was so rare. I mean, it wouldn't even make sense to have a price guy because it'd just be, they, they were, they're one of ones in many cases. Okay. Another story to tell you just how much respect I have for Tom. 1989 National. When he packed out, it was like, we left the hotel, it was like midnight. He calls me on the phone, Rich, you need to come help me pack out. You know, <laughs> put stuff in the car. Let me throw on some clothes. Five minutes later, okay, what do you need me to do? And we loaded his car. And I said, okay, Tom, you drive safely. I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> but I had enough respect when he called me. It wasn't like, what are you doing? It's more like, how fast do you need me there? Well, I just think there's been, uh, you know, amazing friendships in the, in the hobby. And actually, it's probably more hobby than industry. I do think that I got zero corporate feel from Tom Reed. <laughs> He oh no, he's a, he, no, he was no, a he's, one of a kind. He's, yes. he was a regular guy, and he was not anti-establishment other, other than the sense that he was just a real guy. You know, just wasn't he? He wasn't a you know three-piece suit working for IBM or something. No, he, he was, was a construction worker. Yeah, but but uh, savvy and uh, a caring person, and, and he loved the and people. Had some great stories. Yes, great exactly. Stories. In fact, he was yeah he was a great storyteller. So his stories live on. How? By you telling By me telling them, I've told them, uh, I've told them in the sport, when I was writing on Sports Collectors Daily, we just told a couple of the stories I never put into those Sports Collectors Daily's articles. So his stories now live on. And we have a saying in our Torah study group that you, in a sense, you die twice. You die the first time when you physically die and the second time when the last time your name is mentioned mm -hmm. or you're thought about. Hopefully this will prevent the last time 
He's thought about it. Well, we're restarting the clock. We're restarting the clock. Exactly. <laughs> For Tom Reed, who, who really, but again, it's just, it's hard to explain a guy that's been gone that was, that they broke the mold. Right. You know, well, we, that's we, why we, I tried we, to do these little vignettes yeah, about knowing Tom. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he, if he were alive, he'd still be set. He'd probably be just setting up at the national. Would you think? Yeah. I think he'd still, especially in Atlantic city. Yeah. I think because he lived in New Jersey, he'd make sure right. he did the two hour trek down and he'd be one of the people, if he was still with us, that I would have been happy to see and talk to for 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, that's when I saw him. I saw him at the nationals, I think. I mean, yeah. obviously nobody's seen it for 20 years, but, but back in, in those days. And then I, I, I had a, a time, you know, when I lived in the Midwest in, in Ohio, where I was hitting a lot of the New York, New Jersey shows where I first met you, I think, and where, where I would see, uh, Tom, uh, well, semi regularly. When you were doing the House of Collectibles books beginning like 82 or 83, you used to make uh, sure you would come up to New York once a month or so. So I'd see you, even if I didn't know who you were right. necessarily until you introduced yourself to me on the softball field, of yeah, yeah. uh, that you were always up there. And it was, a, it was such a vibrant marketplace. Yeah. Well, I and mean, that was where the action was. I mean, it just, this Paul Gallagher, you know, American Sports Collectors Association, whatever shows. By the way, I still have my badges for those. You know, those are fun collectibles. They're not worth a ton of money, but all that stuff is beloved by the collectors. Yeah. They love it. You know that. why they're not worth that much money? Why? Because they're not authenticatable. Oh, you're right. That's the problem. And I could say, now, if I had it, I could say this is mine. But once it's in somebody else's hand, you know, I used to have a button maker. Well, I didn't make these buttons, but you can make up your own buttons if you just get the, the raw materials <laughs> and screen the photo. But these That might are the be one where seeing the, seeing the rusting might almost even help the value of the shell was legitimate from the time. So I'll soak them in the water and... Uh, no, I'm not going to... Well, it, it just, just, it's actually just reminiscent of a good memory and of, of, of those shows. So I've got, I've got a bunch of those and I'll dig them out sometime. Thanks, Rich. Another trip down memory lane. Tom Reed, another example of a great figure in the hobby, kind of larger than life. Not a huge guy, but a lot of, a lot of influence and really a go-to guy for some of this other kind of stuff. If you didn't know what you had, you could go to Tom and he was generous with his time and expertise. So thanks, Rich. Thanks, thanks Tom Reed. Be back again tomorrow.